Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 14. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Only a book written by God himself can tell the beginning from the end. From the very beginning, when Jesus came to the earth, he prophesied, destroyed this temple, and in three days he would, what, saints, raise it up again? He was talking about the temple of his body, yes, not Jerusalem's temple. He told them, I'll die, and then I'll rise. He promised to send the Spirit of God. He promised to send the Comforter. He promised them the resurrection. And now Jesus says, I'm done talking. It's time for action. I'm going to the Father, and now it's time for all this truth to be documented. Prophecy isn't for the benefit of God. It's for the benefit of us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19, write that down. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. This means that we have a more solid word. We have a more certain word of prophecy so that when they come to pass, we know it's God. Prophecies written about Jesus. Are you listening? 700 to 1,000 years before he was even born. Prophecies like Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells us that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. When Messiah comes, he will have a forerunner announcing his coming, and that will be John the Baptist. Zechariah 9, 9. When the Messiah comes, he's coming in on a donkey. These are all prophecies. Are y'all with me? Zechariah eleven twelve says the Messiah will be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. And that prophecy goes on to say the 30 pieces of silver would be gathered up and used to buy a field that was owned by a guy who makes pots, a potter. Isaiah 53, 7 says when the Messiah comes, he's going to come and be indicted and tried on false charges, but he will not open up his mouth to defend himself. These are just a few prophecies. Jesus, listen, fulfilled over 300 prophecies. Over 300 prophecies. Listen to this. I read this some time ago. The statistical probability of one man fulfilling just eight of these prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's a one with 17 zeros after it. The statistical probability of one man fulfilling 16 of these prophecies is one in 10 to the 45th power. That's one with 45 zeros after it. The statistical probability of a man fulfilling 48 of these prophecies is 1 in 10 
to the 157th power. That's one with 157 zeros after it. The statistical probability of one man fulfilling 300 prophecies, the number is incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible. Prophecy is the greatest proof of the validity of the Bible. I think of Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning. You see that? And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God knows the end of something well before it had a beginning. Did y'all hear that? God knows the end of something Well before it had a beginning, Jesus said he would die, and he did. He said he'd be lifted up, and he was. He said he would rise, and he did. He said he would go to the Father, and he did. He said he would send the Holy Spirit, and he did. He promised salvation and eternal life, and he gave it. He promised a supernatural union with the believer, and that's what happened. He promised a resident truth teacher in every Christian, and there is. A promise, he promised peace and joy and love and everything else, and it's ours in him. In other words, Jesus says, you're going to see all this come to pass. And the fact that the disciples knew this, they should have been rubbing their hands together in anticipation of what was going to happen. Jesus says, no more talking. Now it's time for action. Point number three, the cross meant Jesus' enemies would be defeated. Look at verse 30. In a sense... Jesus couldn't wait to go to the cross because at the cross, Jesus gave a crushing blow to Satan. In verse 30, the ruler of this world is coming. Are you looking at verse 30? The ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing to do with me. Or there was no foothold of sin in the life of Jesus. It could read he has no hold on me, no claim on me, no power over me. Jesus is saying there's going to be a conflict between me and the devil. Somebody once called it the most terrible power clash in all of history, the death grapple in darkness. And because there's no foothold of sin in Jesus' life, victory is certain. Jesus will go to the cross and finally deal with sin once and for all. Do you understand, listen, that Satan has been trying to keep Jesus from the cross from the beginning of time? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In the world of theology, here's your word for the day. In the world of theology, this verse is called um, proto-evangelicum. Proto-evangelicum. It refers to the first cosmic struggle, and God will triumph over Satan. It's the first good news, proto-evangelicum. It's the first good news. It's the first place where the gospel is mentioned, and it's mentioned in the context of Satan trying to undermine the coming of Jesus and ultimately Jesus going to the cross. Satan has always tried to prevent and hinder Jesus going from, to the cross. You know, Matthew chapter 16. Peter tried to hinder Jesus from the cross, and Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You're not concerned with the things of God. Historically, people have tried to destroy the Jew, all to keep Jesus from going to the cross. 4,000 years ago, Pharaoh tried to wipe them out. 
Haman made his gallows. Herod tried to butcher and kill all the babies. Hitler tried to exterminate them. The devil shot every gun he had at Jesus and couldn't kill him. Can somebody say amen? The disciples should have rejoiced when Jesus went to the cross because that's what he came to do. The cross wasn't a defeat. It was a great victory. Somebody once said when Jesus died on the cross, hell was holding a high carnival. When Jesus died on the cross, someone said, when Jesus died on the cross, hell was holding a high carnival. They thought they'd won. But how many of you know, and maybe I can get a witness in this house. How many of you know, three days later, everything changed? Just three days. Three days later, he rose from the grave. Somebody say amen. And we need to understand that Jesus has gotten the victory. Watch this. Jesus, and we talk about Jesus had gotten the victory when he rose from the grave. I say to you, that's true. But I also tell you that Jesus got the victory before he rose from the grave. He got the victory even while he was dead. Because the Bible teaches while he was in the grave for three days, he descended into the lower parts and he proclaimed liberty to the captives. Colossians chapter 2, you take your notes, write it down. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Ephesians 4 tells us he led captives captive and gave gifts to men. He did all this while he was in the grave. So there was no victory for the enemy. If you've been here at Calvary Chapel, you know I love this poem. John Doan's awesome words of victory over death. Death be not proud, though some have called thee. Mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou doest think to overthrow, die not, poor death nor canest thou kill me. I love that. And this is the great hope of the believer. Throughout all the ages, death has no power over us. Can somebody say amen? The Bible says death will experience his own death. Interesting. Death will experience his own death. When death is thrown in a lake of fire, read the book of Revelation. Death. Did y'all hear me? Death will experience his own death when death is thrown into the lake of fire. The cross was not a failure. It was a great victory over the enemy. Somebody clap your hands and say amen right there, will you? (laughs) Jesus' death meant his person was dignified. His truth was documented. His enemy is defeated. And finally, number four, the cross meant Jesus' love was demonstrated in verse 31. Look at verse 31 but that the world may know that I love the Father. The world may know that I love the Father. Stop right there. You know, we don't think about that very much, do we? You know, the cross is a great statement of Jesus' love for us, yes. But the cross is also a great statement of Jesus' love for the Father. The Bible teaches it was the Father who put Jesus on the cross. What am I talking about? Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, somebody read this with me, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, y'all say it with me, we are healed. 
Lots of talk about who killed Jesus, the Romans, the Jews, our sin. Listen, the Bible is clear. The father killed Jesus. The father killed Jesus. Jesus says in verse 31, as the father gave me commandment, even so do I. You've heard me say it before. The greatest proof of love is obedience. Jesus says, when I go to the cross, I will prove to the world that I love the father. Jesus and the father determined that men would be saved. And the only way for man to be saved was Jesus needed to be obedient to the cross. And so Jesus obeyed the father. Listen, really simple. Jesus obeyed the father and stepped down from heaven, came into the world in the form of a servant, lived and died a horrible death while hanging on the cross for how many hours? I'm giving y'all the answer. Well, y'all think I'm saying hi? I don't say hi like this. I say hi like this. How many hours? For six hours, Jesus is hanging on the cross and for six hours, he's hanging on the cross and he made how many statements on the cross? Y'all smart. <laughs> Seven statements on the cross. <laughs> and the sixth statement that Jesus made on the cross, anybody know? The sixth statement that he made. He said, it is finished. The Greek word is? To tell us die. Very good. To tell us die. It is finished. It is done. That's the sixth statement that Jesus made on the cross. And these weren't the words of a dying man's last breath. This was a shout of victory to Telestai. The Greek word to Telestai, if you don't know, please write this down. This is Christianity 101. The Greek word for to Telestai, it means paid in full. Very common word in Jesus' day. This word was used of a criminal who had done his time in prison and paid his debt to society. And when he was leaving prison, um, they would take his rap sheet. And y'all know what a rap sheet is, right? For those of y'all that have one, where you at? Yeah. No, nobody? Oh, okay. The rap sheet that is nebulous that none of us know what we're talking about. Well, when you leave prison... The, your, your crimes are on a piece of paper. And in Jesus' day, when you left prison, they would give you that piece of paper and they would stamp on it to telestai. It is finished. And that means that you finished paying your debt to society, that, that you no longer owe a debt to society. A servant would say to telestai when he completed an assigned task. A writer would say to Telestai when he put his last period on the last sentence of his book, like, right, the last sentence, the last word, he would put a period and say to Telestai, it is finished. A priest found a sacrifice acceptable and faultless and flawless, and, and, and they would write to Telestai. A painter would say to Telestai when he made his last stroke on a portrait, and when Jesus gave himself on the cross, our debt was paid. Remember, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt I did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He paid my debt. Somebody clap your hands and say amen. He paid our sin, our sin. He paid the price for our sin. To Telestai, 
It is finished, paid in full. Jesus finished the work that the Father sent them to do. And by finishing that work, he showed the world how much he loved the Father. Verse 31, the love of God has been perfectly demonstrated when the stronghold of the devil has been broken again. All of this was orchestrated by the Father. He was wounded of God, which tells us, saints, listen, that Jesus was no victim of circumstance. Do y'all understand that? I'm going to let y'all go get your chicken sandwich. Give me a second, all right? Jesus was no victim of circumstance. Jesus was not at the mercy of the powers that be. The cross was a planned and preordained work of God. In other words, in eternity, before Jesus set his foot on this earth, him and the Father and the Holy Spirit, the triunity of God or the Godhead, got together in a council and decided among themselves that Jesus would come to the earth and die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sins. The cross was a planned, preordained work of God. God didn't send his son to the cross angrily or reluctantly. And Jesus didn't go to the cross angrily or reluctantly. He willingly allowed his soul to be made an offering for sin. In verse 31, as the father gave commandment, so do I. He willingly allowed the father to make his soul an offering for sin. And Jesus is saying, I want the world to know demonic betraying and demonic denying and demonic lying are not ruling this night. Love is ruling this night. I'm obeying the father so that the world may know that I'm loving the father. The cross was not at the root of evil. It was the compliance of love. Listen, the cross was not the root of evil. It was the compliance of love. Satan is not the explanation of Calvary. Obedience is. You follow me on Twitter? I tweeted that yesterday. You know that. I liked it so much I had to tweet it. (laughs) Satan is not the explanation of Calvary. Obedience is. And that's why Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Again, in verse 28, look at it. Jesus says, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. And if you love me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father. The disciples should rejoice because after all of these years of humiliation, finally, Jesus will be glorified. His death meant all the promises that he made would finally come to pass. His death meant that the enemy had dogged him for 33 years and now he would be defeated. His death meant that he could demonstrate on the greatest stage of the universe, a moment in human history at the cross, that he loved us and that he loved the Father. And then verse 31, I'm coming in right here. Look at verse 31. Jesus says, arise and let us go from here. You know, you almost get the feeling Jesus is saying, I'm not waiting for the enemy to come to me. I'll go meet him. And you know, arise and let us go from here. They go from here to the place where Jesus knows they'll look for him. Where's that? The Garden of Gethsemane. You know the story. They go from here to the Garden of Gethsemane. And while Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Roman 600 Roman soldiers come to arrest one man. That's a whole nother sermon. 600 soldiers come to get one guy. Why? Because I think they know that there's 
power in that man. Even 600 soldiers couldn't stop him. They didn't need to go through all that. That was too much drama. (laughs) Jesus probably said, why all the drama? I know I'm ready to go. I'm the one been saying my hour's not yet come. My hour has come. I'm ready to go. Y'all creating all this drama, 600 soldiers carrying on. Oh, I would have loved to have a DVD. Anyways, he's in the garden. They come to get him, and uh, they take him. They take him to Pilate, you know, and then they sentence him to die. He carries a 200-pound cross up the Via Dolorosa, and there they hang him on the tree. So he says, arise and let us go from here. And I say, as we close chapter 14, arise, let us go from here. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Arise, let us go from here. (laughs) Because we've been in chapter 14 for so long, and uh, I don't know, did y'all learn anything in this chapter? My goodness, I, I just was blessed. God showed us all so much, and then they go from here. And keep in mind, they're going from here. Y'all need to pray for me. They, uh, they're going from here, from the garden, right? And, and, and they're, 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 they're walking. Jesus and the disciples are walking along. And then, then we get to chapter 15. And here's what I thought we might do. This week, we're going to have devotion together, okay? So chapter 15, we're all going to read the first eight verses in chapter 15 together. Every day this week, all right, every day before you get going on your busy day, I want you to, if you got to get up early, get up early. Some of y'all, y'all like that, take a miracle. It ain't that big. Just set the clock a few minutes early. Get up and and read before you go out. Don't do it at night because I'm not like a nighttime reader. Man, I find myself sleeping. I'm too tired. If I hit that bed, it's a wrap. Y'all know I call my bed the word. I name my bed. That's how much I love it. I name my bed the word. Somebody called me up. What you doing? I'm in the word. <laughs> He's so spiritual. <laughs> I know. Some of us have to be. <laughs> so every morning we're going to read this again. And I forgot to tell the first service people. I did, so y'all got to help me spread the word, all right? I told the second service people, I ain't told the first service people, but I want to do it as a church. Like every day, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Jesus is walking with his disciples. And Jesus just walking, you know, headed toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Y'all got that picture? He says, I'm the true vine. A father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges. That they may bear, what saints? More fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. I can't wait to tell you about that. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. Somebody say amen. I am the vine. You are the branches. And he who abides in me and I in him bears 
what saints, much fruit. For without me, you can't do much anything. You can't do what? Can't do anything. Nothing, honey. Write that in your margins. Nothing. You can't do nothing, honey. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them in the fire and they are burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, more fruit, much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Let's read that every day this week. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.